Father, thank you for the beautiful name of Jesus Christ, our King. That you sent your Son to die for us. And that we now worship, praise, honor, and seek to bring glory to that beautiful name. I ask, Father, for your hand of grace to be on our time together. That we would have ears to hear your word, hearts to understand. That you would help us to see the things that you want us to see, to take home with us those things which you want applied to our lives. Father, I pray that your spirit would be our guide and teacher this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to read the 15 verses, and then we're going to dive in, and we'll see what happens. All right, we can do that. It's a wait-and-see kind of sermon. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him as Moses was also faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant, Wait a second. Did I read that right? Faith, yeah, okay. For a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works forty years. Therefore I was angry with that generation, and said, They always go astray in their heart, for they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren. Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Like, there's a lot in here. Last week, we finished looking at how Jesus is better than the angels. Uh, today, we're going to begin to look at how Jesus is better than Moses. And we're going to see that uh, 
in several different ways in the coming weeks as we continue through the book of Hebrews. Not just better than Moses as a servant, but better than the law and better rest, which we'll get to either next week or the week after as we get into chapter 4. Right? We, we've talked a lot about that. I'm going to hit it over and over and over again because it's important for us. The whole book of Hebrews, as we go back to the introduction, is about how Jesus is better. Right? He's better than the angels, better than Moses, better than the law. He offers us a better rest, a better covenant, and so on. And so today, we start with our calling as the holy brethren and partakers of the heavenly calling to consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, and that is Jesus. And so there's a couple words here that I want to break down for you. Um, they're in my introduction. You don't have a long introduction in the, in the notes or on the screen, um, but you have a place to write it down if you'd like. So we are called as the holy brethren. And don't let that fool you, right? It's not just about us guys. The word for brethren there means relation, family, or brotherhood of Jesus. It's the family of God in Christ. And so if you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, you are part of the brethren being spoken of here. The holy brethren. What makes us holy? Well, it's the blood of Jesus Christ. Cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Gives us a holy and righteous standing before God. And then by the giving of the Holy Spirit gives us the ability to live a holy life that honors him here. Not that we'll do it perfectly. I had to laugh when Diane said, well, if you sin once or twice, you can't go to heaven. That was what she thought as she was growing up. I'm like, man, I've sinned once or twice today. I know y'all think I'm, oh no, you're the pastor. That's not, I'm worse. Worse than all y'all. I guarantee it. We could sit down and compare notes. I say it often. I'm like Paul, right? Jesus Christ died for sinners of whom I am the chief. I know it. I am saved by the blood of Christ, made righteous by the blood of Christ. And even though I will make many mistakes as a follower of Christ, it is the power of his Holy Spirit that we talked about last week that sanctifies us, right? Sets us apart. First, gives us a position of sanctification before God. We are never getting through 15 verses. First, gives us a position of sanctification before God. When God looks at us, he sees us as righteous as we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And then works out a practical sanctification in our life right Paul told us in Philippians this isn't in your notes so you'll have to read the whole book to find it but to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and do for his good pleasure right so when it says for us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling doesn't mean we save ourselves by our good works but it means as we intentionally seek a deeper and more intimate relationship with Christ, he works in us to make us more like his son. Now, perfection is not something we will attain this side of heaven. But we should become, be, 
becoming more and more like Christ throughout our lives. And we were, we were having a bit of this discussion in Sunday school this morning that I was much more obnoxious 25 years ago than I am now. God has given me a filter. God has taught me, uh, well, actually, the Holy Spirit just shuts me up now. And before, I wouldn't listen. And now when the Holy Spirit wants to shut me up, I sometimes listen. <laughs> Not always. Right? Hopefully, what that means is I'm growing. <laughs> that I'm growing in my spiritual maturity. That I am becoming more Christ-like throughout my life. Brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. And I love this word, partakers. And if we were to get all the way down to verse 14 today, where we have become partakers of Christ, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. I love this word for partakers. And I was having this discussion uh, with a pastor friend of mine, because we tend to do this. We meet on Wednesdays. I do this almost every week. Because almost every time he and I sit down, or we sit down and have a conversation, something else comes out that I use on, on my sermon on Sunday. And one of the things we were talking about as we were sitting there drinking coffee by the bucket loads, because we meet early, is what a lot of Christians, we get this idea in our minds that Jesus is the coffee. Coffee's a good illustration. But we get this idea that Jesus is the coffee, and when we partake of Christ, right, we drink of Jesus. Which is okay to a certain extent. We get, oh, you have to accept Jesus into your heart. Or you have to respond to the invitation to be saved. Accepting Jesus as your Savior is part of that. But what we have to realize is that something so much bigger takes place. Because the bigger thing that takes place is that we're the coffee. And Jesus takes us in. Last week, we talked about the fact that the one who is sanctified, which is us, and the one who sanctifies which is Jesus, are one. This unity that we have with Christ isn't possible by any effort of our own part. He is the one who has to take us in. So he makes us partakers of this heavenly calling. The word in Greek means participants, sharers, and associates. Right? So I could, I could partake of a little bit of water. It's not what it talks about. It talks about the living water flowing through us as we are filled with the Holy Spirit as we become one with Christ and one in Christ, which we talked about last week. If you really want to get a, a better idea of what that looks like, read the book of Ephesians because that's what the book of Ephesians teaches in multiple ways. So holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession. And, and I love this word consider. Right? Because when we think about considering something, oh, I'll take it into consideration. I'll think about it. And that's a good thing to Think about Jesus Christ, for sure. But the word here means to observe fully. To 
discover and to perceive or understand. So this is not just, well, have you considered Jesus? Yeah, I've thought about Jesus. Seems like a pretty neat guy. This is so far beyond that. This is to observe fully, which means we're going to look at every aspect of who Jesus is, everything that he's done from all of Scripture. Right? This isn't a little, right, you know, you read John 3.16, for God so loved the world, right? Oh, I've considered Jesus. This is so far beyond that. This isn't just saying, you know, I, I like... <laughs> I like Lord of the Rings. A lot of people like Lord of the Rings. I have considered Lord of the Rings fully. I can quote the movies. I can tell you what happens in the books. I can tell you what happened in the Silmarillion, in the Unfinished Tales, in the Tales from the Perilous Realm. I can tell you what's happened in the story of Baron and Luthien. I can, yeah, I've read the appendix. I've looked over the timeline of the dwarves. I have considered Lord of the Rings. I'm a big fan. Right? Some people say, oh, I like Lord of the Rings. Isn't there some guy with a sword? What? It's not some guy with a sword. There's Aragorn, son of Arathorn. Right? A descendant of Isildur, of the kings of Numenor. The rightful king to the throne of Gondor. You want to talk about the guy with the sword? You want to know the name of his sword? Andruil. Flame of the West. It's hanging on my office wall because my kids bought it for me for Father's Day last year. I have considered Lord of the Rings. Right? Now, have I considered Jesus to the same extent? And I really hope, and I do believe, well, I know this book better than I know Lord of the Rings. Right? And I don't trust Lord of the Rings for my salvation. I trust the truth contained in the word of God for my salvation. Right? You want to talk about Jesus, about his characteristics, about who he is, about what he's done for us, about what he will do for us. We can talk about him as the agent of creation all the way back in Genesis 1.1, the voice of the burning bush in Exodus. We can talk about him as the giver of the law because he is the very word of God in Leviticus. We can talk about him as the pillar of fire by day or by night and the cloud by day that led Israel through the wilderness in, in numbers. We can talk about him as the prophet to come in Deuteronomy. We can talk. I'm going to keep going, so I hope you got it. We can talk about him as the one who can bring us into the promises of God in Joshua. We can talk about him as the one who is our deliverer in the book of Judges. He is our kinsman redeemer in the book of Ruth. I'm trying to think in my mind how far I can go. I'm about to run out, just so you know. But in all of First and Second Samuel, as well as Kings and Chronicles, see how I got through six books at once? We can talk about him as our king, as our prophet, as the descendant of David who will sit on the throne forever. Then, well, then we get into the poetry books, into the book of Job, into Song of Solomon. He's our lover. In the book of Job, he's the one who watches over us in our difficulties and gets us through them. Read the book of Psalms. Jesus is everywhere in the book of Psalms. We'll just take one that we've been studying in Sunday school. Because in Psalm 23, he is our shepherd. Then we get into the prophets. And don't get me started on the prophets, because I'll get lost in the minor prophets anyway. 
but Isaiah, just, just Isaiah 53, how it speaks of Jesus as our suffering servant. The book of Ezekiel, he is the son of man who will restore not just Israel, but the whole world at some point in time, which we read about in the book of Revelation. The book of Daniel, oh, he is our Mashiach, Nagid, our Messiah, the King. In Jeremiah, he's the one who weeps over our sin. And it goes on and on and on. We didn't even get to the New Testament and the Gospels and all that we're taught about him in the book of Acts and in all of the, the epistles and consider fully. I'll be happy if we get out of verse 1. Consider fully. You know, I, I have people tell me all the time, well, it's, it's difficult to read the Old Testament. The Old Testament gives us Jesus, just like the New Testament. When you look for Jesus, you'll find him. When you search for him with all your heart, the Jeremiah 29 tells us. And this is what he wants us to do, to consider him, to observe him fully, to discover him and perceive him as the apostle and high priest of our confession. So this can be fun. The word apostle means one who is sent. And we spent a lot of time last week, so I don't want to hit it hard again, but we spent a lot of time last week talking about how Jesus took on flesh. Right? He had to take on flesh because we're flesh and blood. He had to take on flesh so he could die on the cross for our sins. He couldn't do that as a spirit. So Jesus physically came in the flesh, born of the Virgin Mary, lived a sinless life, died a substitutionary death, rose from the grave so that we could be saved. Amen to Jesus. So he is the apostle, the one who was sent for us. That's what the word apostle means, one who was sent. But he is also the high priest of our confession. And I want to be careful here. We're going to spend chapters of the book of Hebrews. When we get up to chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8, we are going to revisit Jesus being our great high priest after the order of Melchizedek again and again and again. We're going to talk about it. By the time we're done, you're going to be like, yep, he's our high priest. There's not going to be any question about that whatsoever when we get through those chapters. But I don't, so I don't want to go over it too much right now. But this is what you have to consider the role of the high priest. In the Old Testament, the high priest, and we're going to get to this later in Hebrews too, but the role of the high priest was to go in before the presence of God to represent the people to God. He would burn incense. He would take the sacrifice into the Holy of Holies once a year and sprinkle blood on the mercy seat. Right? This was his job, to represent the people before God. But then he would come out and bless the people. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and give you his peace. Numbers chapter 6, the high priestly blessing. So then he would come out and give the blessing of God to the people. So he represented the people before God. He represented God before the people. Does that not describe our Savior? Jesus Christ, the very revelation of who God is, come in the flesh to show us the Father 
Remember, Philip said, Lord, just show us the Father and we'd be satisfied. And he, Jesus looked at Philip, haven't you seen me? Because if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, representing the Father to us. And then he was exalted to the right hand of God where he ever lives to make intercession for us. So now he represents us as our advocate before the Father. He is our great high priest. My wife actually wrote a song about it about 20 years ago. Uh, we should find the words. And so we... Verse 1. <laughs> I told you. Um, so he is the apostle and high priest of our calling or our confession. Now the word confession here means what we believe and what we have confessed we believe concerning Jesus. And Diane brought up that scripture in Romans, you said it was Romans 9, isn't it Romans 10? 10-9. Oh, 10-9. Oh, I just, I just heard it wrong. But yeah, Diane brought up that scripture in Romans 10-9. If you have your Bible, join me there. We are never getting through 15 verses. I've given up. So we will finish this sermon next week. I already know it's not going to happen. But in Romans 10.9, I know where the book of Romans is. In Romans 10.9, it says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But let's take the whole thing in context. Right? I'm going to start at the beginning of chapter 10 because time doesn't exist anymore. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Praise God. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does these things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring up Christ from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be I don't even have to say anything about it. That's just the word of God telling us what confession means. Right? Maybe somebody listening has a Catholic background. Right? Because confession means something different mm -hmm. in a Catholic background. You know, you go sit in a little box, bless me, Father, or forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. I've never actually done it because of the obnoxious side of who I am. I've always wanted to do it. 
just to go in and mess with the proofs. <laughs> right? I know this would be wrong, and I won't, I won't do it, I promise. I've met many Catholic priests who I think are wonderful guys who love the Lord Jesus, who are, I'm, we're going to see them in heaven, I have no doubt about it. Um, but it's always just in the back of my mind, I thought it'd be funny. You know, yeah, remember that bank that got robbed last week? That was me. <laughs> right? Because I can't say anything. I, I would never, ever actually do it. I promise. But there's just a little part of me that thinks it would be fun. Um, but not that kind of confession. It's talking about what we believe and what we confess that we've believed concerning Jesus Christ. What a glorious thought that we are to confess our belief in him. Because whoever calls on his name is saved. What a beautiful statement. What a beautiful truth. Because that's the gospel. It's not about what you do. It's not about how good you are or how good looking you are. I'd be in trouble. Or about how much money you'd have. I'd be in more trouble. Right? Or about how athletic you are or about how smart you are or about what family you come from or about the color of your skin or your gender or any of it. None of it matters. What matters is that you believe in Jesus Christ. His death and resurrection. What a glorious, glorious truth. There is nothing in this life that is more important because it is only that truth that will get you to the next life. To eternal life. Verse 2. <laughs> Thanks, Aaron, finally. <laughs> and we're considering Jesus Christ, our faithful high priest, who was faithful to him, that's the Father, who appointed him, that's the Son, as Moses was faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant, for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. So as I said at the beginning, Jesus is simply better. Right? He is better than the angels, better than Moses, better than the law. He gives us a better rest, a better covenant, and we're going to continue to look at this as we move throughout the book of Hebrews. But here, Paul is telling us that Jesus was faithful, which means that he could be trusted, that he is sure, and that he is true, faithful to the one who appointed him, God the Father, just as Moses was. But Jesus is worthy of more glory. Now, Jesus is first worthy of more glory because the one who builds the house is greater than the house itself. Jesus, of course, was Moses' creator. <laughs> Satan, go away. I don't like these. 
That's right. Anyways, sorry, for the recording later on, I just had to be, try to, well, he just came to visit. He didn't try to attack me, but it was almost bad. Almost bad. Where was I? Jesus is creator. So he created Moses. So the one who builds the house is greater than the house, right? Moses can't have more glory than his creator. We were talking about that in Sunday school this morning too, right? God wants to work in our lives for our good, but for his glory, right? We don't get the glory. So Moses, the Jewish mindset was that Moses had great glory, that the law had great glory, but it was all intended to glorify the Father. And so Jesus, being God, has glory that Moses doesn't get because Jesus is the builder of the house. Moses was not. We saw last week, of course, that all things were created by and for Jesus. So, of course, he has greater glory than Moses. Now, Moses was indeed faithful. Paul points that out. Moses was faithful in his house as a servant, as a testimony for these things which would be spoken of afterwards. And so we can clearly see and take Moses' example as a faithful servant to heart because we should be faithful servants in the house of God. How was Moses faithful? God said, Moses, go. Moses said, no. Wait a second. Okay, well, that's a bad example. Eventually, Moses said yes. Eventually, Moses did go. Eventually, Moses received the law, and he led the people, and he guided them and taught them and cared for them. And that's what God wants of us. Not just with the people in this room, with the people of our church, but with all the people around us. He wants us to be faithful, to share the love of Christ with those around us so we can be faithful servants in his house. But Moses was still just a servant in the house of God, which is much less than Jesus, who is the son over his own house. Right? Big difference. So Moses was the house in one illustration, while Jesus is the builder of the house. So Jesus is better. Now, Moses is a servant in the house of God, but Christ is over that house. And so remember, Hebrews is written to a Jewish audience. And so in that process, Paul, the author, I believe it was Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was working to show his Hebrew audience that Jesus is better, better than Moses, better than the law, which, again, we will spend a lot of time on. And so, yes, Moses was a servant in the house of God, but Christ is the son over the house. And then he says, whose house we are, that's all of us, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Now, if I thought there was any chance we were going to get to the end of this passage today, um, I wouldn't hit on this right now, but I am going to hit on it right now. Two things. One, that we are his house. And so if you want to, you can turn to 1 Peter 4.17, because we're going to go spend a little bit of time there here in a moment. And two... We're going to talk about holding fast our confidence in Christ to the end. So first, 
Uh, if you'll join me in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17, we'll talk about being his house. If you go to Revelation and turn left, you'll see the, uh, the uh, epistles of John, and then you'll get to 2 Peter and then 1 Peter. It's kind of an easier way to go, go from back and then turn left, at least in my mind. 1 Peter 4, 17 says this. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? So I know that sounds kind of harsh, but I'll tell you what, the church could use some correction overall. Right? I'm not, not just saying us, because we're not perfect. I know we like to think we are. And we are the best church in Gunnison, in my opinion. Um, right? I'm sure the other pastors in town share that opinion of their church, and that's okay. We can agree to disagree, right, in all things uh, unity. Uh, but in that process, we are the house of God. And we do need correction. The, church, the Big C Church as a whole, around the world, and each church. I know there's things in our church that God wants us to work on, wants us to grow in, that he wants to approve. And we need to be open and receptive to that. But judgment will begin here. But what does it say? For if judgment begins where? At the house of God. And if it begins with us first, that means the us, that's you and I, and every other person who is called on the name of the Lord to be saved, we are the house of God. The Holy Spirit dwells inside us. Those spend some time in 1 Corinthians 6 and 7. talks about that, that we not only are the house of God, we are actually the temple of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us which is very cool to think about and also should remind us that we are always in the presence of God, but that's another message. But we are the house of God. That's so cool to me. Not this building. This building is cool. I love that we have a building. I love that we have fans. I love that when it's 15 degrees below zero outside that our heat works. I love it. This building is not the church. This building, this building, that's the church. The church is everywhere we go because we are the church. Number two, that we hold fast our confidence in Christ till the end. Now later in this passage, we're going to be warned not to depart from the faith. And so we're going to talk about this at length next week when we do part two of Hebrews 3, 1 through 15. But a lot of people get this idea, and so I'm only going to describe it briefly now. A lot of people get this idea that holding fast our confidence to the end means that we have to maintain our own salvation. No. We are saved by faith through grace. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. And then if you turn to Galatians 2 and 3, which, again, we're going to look at this more next week. When you turn to Galatians 2 and 3, Paul looks at the Galatians and he says, Oh, foolish Galatians, 
having begun in the spirit, are you now going to be made perfect in the flesh? No. We start in the spirit. We continue in the spirit. We end in the spirit. We start by faith. We continue by faith. We end by faith. We start with his grace. We continue by his grace. We will end by his grace. So when it talks about us holding our confidence firm to the end, and like I said, we'll hit this more next week, I believe there is a possibility that we can make a conscious choice to depart from our faith in Christ. We don't lose our salvation. But then we have to answer the question, was that person ever saved to begin with? And that's a whole other question. But we're warned not to depart. We're warned as Christ holds on to us, as we follow and believe and hold to the confession that we've made as Christ is our Savior. Well, then yes, we're eternally secure. I believe that. No one's going to pluck me out of his hand and I ain't going to jump out. But the only way that's possible is because he's the one who's holding me. You ever tried to hold a toddler's hand while crossing a street? Right, you want that toddler to be safe? Or you take a kid to the beach you got the big waves, so you're, you're holding both hands. Whee! Right? You're picking them up as the waves come in so they don't drown. That's good parenting, to not let your children drown, just in case you didn't know. Right? But that whole time, I bet if you could look inside the mind of that child, they would think they were holding your hand. They're not, are they? You're holding them. Because if it was dependent on their strength, well, the wave would sweep them right out to sea. If it was dependent on their strength, they would run off into traffic. So you hold their hand. Yeah, maybe they got there. I still remember my kids because I, I have really big hands. And so when my kids were little, they'd hold this finger and then I'd wrap the rest of their hand up. All right, they thought they were holding on. But the truth was I was holding them. And so, yeah, we want to remain in Christ. We want to abide in him. And in reality, he's the one who holds us. The only way we can hold our confidence firm to the end is because he's holding us. But we need to be warned. The rest of this passage is going to get into that about warning us to not drift away, to not fall away. And so there's your cliffhanger. We'll talk about that next week in the second half of this message. I highly encourage you to keep your bulletin notes. I knew we weren't going to make it. I knew it. I knew it when I started preparing the message. But that's okay. Now every week, I try to give you something to take home. And mostly what I have for you to take home is about the rest of the message. So we'll talk about that next week a little bit more. Uh, but I want you to take this home. First, if you're not a Christian, what's going on? How can you come to this church and not be a Christian? Right? I know everybody here for the most part, and I know you are. But if someone's joining us online, or someone listens to this recording later... And you're like, yeah, I don't know about this Jesus guy. This, this guy's been, you know, yelling about for the last 35 minutes. Let me introduce you. I would love to tell you more about him. So if you're online, go to our website, newsongunnison.net. If you're on Facebook right now, send us a message or leave us a comment. We will, we will love to talk to you about who Jesus is.
Now, for us who are followers of Christ, this is my challenge to you. Right? In some days, you're going to do it really well. In some days, it's going to be a little harder. Some days, you're going to get distracted, or maybe you're going to be sick, or maybe something's going to go wrong. But I want to challenge you to intentionally consider who Jesus is every day of your life. Intentionally consider who he is. And you're going to do that as you get into the word of God and let him tell you who he is. You're going to do that as you spend time in prayer. You're going to do that as you listen during prayer. Take time just to be silent before him. You're going to do that as you serve him. Whether it's in this building or outside this building, whenever you serve him, you're considering who he is because he's the one who taught us to serve. Consider him when you share him with other people because he's the one who taught us to love our neighbor as ourselves. And you can't love your neighbor anymore than by sharing the love of Christ with them. But consider him. He wants us to know him. He wants us to grow in our intimacy with him. He wants that for us as individuals and for us as a church. So there's, that's what you take home this week. Let's pray. Lord, I love you. I pray that my dear friends in the sound booth would forgive me for not going through all the slides. And I thank you for the, the beautiful verses we looked at today, and we'll, we'll pick this message up next week. And Lord, I, I pray that you would lead and guide that next part of the message, too. I thank you for Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. May we fully consider who you are. May we learn from your example of faithfulness. May we trust in your grace to hold us. May you be glorified in all we do as we continue throughout our week. In Jesus' name, amen.